Hey everyone, I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham Felson. You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. Our guest this week is Louis Boria, also known as Brooklyn Boy Knits. Louis went viral a couple years ago after a photo was taken of him knitting on the New York City subway. We talked to him all about knitting as a passion, as a career, and also what it was like growing up in Brooklyn in East New York, coming from a military family and deciding to do something totally different with his life. Hope you enjoy. So I started knitting about 10 years ago, and it was over a dream that I had one morning. I woke up, I had this dream that I was knitting, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, are you serious? Okay. (laughs) So I never had a desire to want to knit, learn. I was never crafty like that. And I was like, maybe this is a sign. And so I I couldn't get that thought, that dream out of my head the entire day. Do you usually take your dreams pretty seriously? I I really, I don't. You know, once in a while, you know, you... Like, oh, that's weird. I just dreamt about this. But then yeah. I talked about it earlier in that day. So I was like, that's the connection, right? But this just came out of nowhere. And it was like a, just a dream I had. And What were you knitting, knitting in the dream? I, all I saw, yeah. honestly, was just my hands working with the yarn and the knitting needles. That was it. And I and in my dream, it felt like I felt like I, I knew what I was doing. And I woke up feeling like that, having that feeling. And that's why I was like, I think I should pursue this. I should try to learn how to knit. And that very same day... I mean, I couldn't get I, I couldn't get it out of my head the entire day at work, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna do it. So I went to Michael's Arts and Crafts store, bought some yarn knitting needles, came home, hopped on to YouTube, and that's how I started. <laughs> and I picked it up really fast. Uh-huh. That's the crazy thing. So, um, so I I've been knitting. Through, so ten years I've been knitting, and then um, two years ago, so I'm on the train, I'm knitting, and which was another obstacle I had to overcome. Knitting uh, on the train. Yeah, knitting on Tell the train. Tell me about that. So. When this I first, isn't just any train. We're talking about the New York City right, subways. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, like, people are constantly staring at you. You know, you're in close proximity to people. So, it's you just can't escape. Like, people it, right? know your business. If you're reading a book, they right. know what book or you're reading. Or if you're on your phone, people, you always see people at. looking to yeah. the right. And, like, what is it? <laughs> and I see it all the time on the train, especially when people are on their cell phones. Yeah. It's hilarious. I'm yeah. like, wow, like, this guy's peeping this girl's. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> totally. you know, her phone or whatever. Anyways, so I. Um, so one of the things about my the things that I had to overcome was knitting in public because knitting is associated with women and yeah. grandmas and only women do that. So you, I've never seen men knit, right? And yeah. so that was like, well, I don't want I don't want people pointing at me and staring at me, so I'm not going to do that. And I would always carry my projects in my duffel bag on my way to work every day. And I realized I was wasting so much time. So I would, it's great I would get, time. right. Yeah. So my lunch hour at work, I, that's where I would do my knitting. Yeah. And then that was it. And then until I got home. But my, my commute to and from work is like an hour and 15 minutes to and from, right? So yeah. I'm wasting all this time. And I'm like, ah. And you know, it was just frustrating me because I'm like, I really want to knit. But I was so more concerned about what other people were thinking about me and how they were going to perceive me should I knit in public. Anyways, um... I eventually overcame that. And uh, fast forward you know, a few years later, um, which was two years ago, I, um, I'm on my way home from the gym and I'm just doing, I get the minute I get on the train now, I don't even think twice about it. I just knit. I pull out my bag. I'm like, all right. Wait, and, and before I want to hear the story, but like, did people give you shit? Like what you were worried about? No. So, so interesting enough, the day that I, I decided, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to knit in public and I'm going to do this on the train. Nobody was like staring at me. People were looking at me, but more of an intrigue. 
like to see a guy knitting. And I and eventually people started coming up to me saying, "Wow, it's so cool to see a guy knit." And I'm like, "Huh, interesting." <laughs> men and women. Wow, <clears throat> men and women and kids. Like uh -huh. it's crazy. Like, <laughs> and it would just spark conversations. And I like, bet. and I've met some friends through these conversations yeah. <laughs> on trains, and I we became friends throughout the years. That's awesome. Yeah, and I realized that you know the entire time I was judging myself. It wasn't people judging me. It was me judging myself and me putting myself in that box. And when I realized that, I just it was like this sense of freedom. I was like wow, I don't care what anybody has to say anymore. I'm going to do what I want. And I, from that point on, I just, I would, like I said, I, would, I wouldn't even think twice about just knitting in, on the train or in public yeah. or if I'm sitting at a park or whatever and I'll pull out my knitting and I don't even think about it. Do, you, do you remember, though, that what it was like that first time? Like, did you, when you were walking in the subway, were you, like, psyching yourself up? Or were you like, today is the day that I do it? <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 broke a, I broke a sweat and everything. I'm sitting in the train and yeah. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Just do it. And don't even look around. Just go in, get your project, pull it out, and just don't even look up. And that's what I did for the first 10 minutes. Uh -huh. And But the thing about knitting is that it's very therapeutic, right? So, How so? Because I so don't knit. So the, the rhythm of you creating these stitches, uh -huh. like once you learn how to knit, it, it really is there. I could have the worst day ever. Uh -huh. And the minute I pick up my project, all my problems are gone. So it's kind of like meditation? It really is. Because you're... you're you're focusing so much on what you're doing that you just forget about everything else so basically and people was, around you. It was curing your anxiety as you were having right. the actual <laughs> right. anxiety. So the whole time, right. So interesting <laughs> enough, right? I, I knew this at the time that, yeah, knitting is therapeutic, but my anxiety level was at 100. And I'm just like, oh my God, people are, I know people are looking at me. But then I forgot that I'm knitting in public for the first time. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh, wait. I'm knitting and uh -huh. I look up and that's when I realized I was like wow I wasted all this time knitting not knitting on the train because of my fears when in fact they never existed yeah that problem never existed it was interesting it's crazy yeah but let's be real there are there are um it's not coming from nowhere there are toxic males out there who will mess with somebody oh, yeah. and I imagine like have and it's happened to with? me Absolutely. So, so what happened yeah. give it so um a few years after I started learning how to knit, um, I and I love this story because it was my one and only encounter, and and it was what turned from negative to a real positive. Um, so I'm sitting on the train, I'm knitting, and a few seats down from me is an African American male, older gentleman, must have been in his fifties, and then in by the way, just for our listeners, right. can you just describe what you look like? And so <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm a short Hispanic, five five. Uh, dude, I'm like, I weigh like a buck 25. Okay. So, like, <laughs> okay, okay. so I'm a short dude. Um, I'm 44 years old. Um, so yeah, so I, I, so imagine I'm just here sitting, I'm sitting on the train, minding my own business. I'm knitting and you know, I'm to my, to my left, I see the gentleman sitting next to me. He looks at me a couple of times as I'm knitting. And then at the next stop in walk two younger African-American males and they're sitting across from me off to the side, like diagonal from me from across. Yeah. Now, typically when I'm knitting, I'm just so into my project that it takes a lot for me to look up. And at this particular point, I hear them laughing. Mm -hmm. And when I look up, because I wanted to see what was so funny, right? Because I'm like, and I look up, they're looking directly at me. So I'm like, oh, they're laughing at me. Ugh. Right. So yeah, here comes the anxiety part, right? Yeah. So here comes that fear that I talked about a few years before. And now it's coming to, you know, it's coming. Realization. Right, exactly. So 
all of a sudden, the gentleman, the old gentleman who's sitting to the side of me, he looks at the boys, looks at me, looks back at them. He's like, what's so funny? Oh, because you see a guy knitting, you think it's funny? And they just, they're just still, at this point, they're still cracking laughing, up, right? Yeah. They're cracking up. Now, they must be like 17, 18 years old, right? I'm assuming that's how old they were. And he looks at me. He goes, let me ask you a question. He's like, how long have you been doing? I was like, I've been doing this for a couple of years. He's like, do you make money off of that? And I was like, yeah, actually, I do. I have a small business, you know, and I make custom pieces. So then he turns back to the guys. He's like, now, when you can do what he does and make money off of it, then you can laugh. Uh, and even then, you can't laugh because you can't do what he's doing. And these two boys got up and left. <laughs> so it was like, and I just got up and I shook his hand and said, yeah. thank you, man. You didn't have to do that. He's like, no. He's like, I'm tired of this. You know, people are so judgmental these days. And he's like, you know, they see somebody doing something and right away they assume, you know, everything under the sun. And I'm yeah. like, you're right. And I said... And I said, but I appreciate that. And, it, and I love telling that story because it's, it just, and it was my only encounter, right? Yeah. Um, we live in a society now where, you know, nothing surprises anybody anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, it was just that one moment in my life where I just said, all right, back to, real to reality. You uh -huh. know what I mean? And he, for that split of a set, that moment in my life, I felt that fear again. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it was like, he brought it back. And it was just like, it was interesting. It was interesting because at that moment, that's when I said, Listen, you're going to have your naysayers, right? You're going to have people that are not going to approve of whatever it is that you're doing out there. And I realized that at that moment in my life, I realized, like, you got to be okay with that. That's a good point. It's you a know? good point. It's like, I, I think I often wish, like, there won't be any haters out there, but it's more it, about just being okay with it. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's it. It, it. You're not going to change people's minds. You're not going to... There are going to be people you're not going to be able to change their lives, right? But... um. You're not here for them. Mm -hmm. Where where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up here in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn most of my life and uh, moved to Pennsylvania for a couple of years, finished high school out there, and then came right back. Which, which <laughs> part of Brooklyn? Uh, so I grew up in East New York, which uh -huh. is the east side of New York, uh, Brownsville area, and then I've been all over Brooklyn ever since. So, <laughs> so for, I, I've been living in Brooklyn for a long time, <clears throat> and I um, have some friends who used to teach in East New York, but for listeners who are non-New Yorkers, East New York is about as um, "quote unquote" rough, oh, yeah. tough of a neighborhood oh, yeah. as it gets in New York. So, right. It is a really tough neighborhood, and um, and uh, so I'm just thinking in my head. You know, it's one thing if you were, let's say, like, um, you know, a guy growing up in Westchester in right. some kind of privilege environment, <laughs> and you feel like the world is your oyster. Right. You can do whatever exactly. you want and knit on exactly. a subway. It's a whole other thing to be a guy from oh, East yeah. New York to so, be doing. So this. let me just paint the picture. So <laughs> yeah. when I was growing up, right. Yeah we weren't even allowed to play outside. Oh. So that was, our, our activities were in, always done at home. So our mom, you know, she, um, she was an illustrator. And so she always, we always had arts around us. And so she'd come home with coloring books and, or games. And that's what kept us occupied, you know. But the fear of us, you know, going outside and God forbid something happening, because it was a rough neighborhood back then. We're talking about like, mid 80s mm -hmm. early you know going into the 90s it was it was rough and so you know luckily enough she decided to pick up that's it we're done and we're moving out of here and we're going we're, we're getting a house and we're moving to the state into yeah. pennsylvania so yeah. we're like all right great um but you know i embraced all all of my past right and and it's it's molded me to become the person that i am today and I don't regret anything, you know, and I tell my mom that all the time. I'm like, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I had that experience of growing up and 
sometimes not being able to go outside and play unless it was with my mom, right? Do you think in a weird way, just the fact that you you grew up in a place like East New York gave you the kind of confidence to be like, um, you know, I came from this place. Right. Nobody can tell me that I'm a man, if uh, that I'm not a man right. if I want to knit on the subway. Do you think in a weird way it like helped you? It did. You had to yeah. have a tough skin. <clears throat> yeah. mm-hmm. You really do have to have a tough skin to, to have lived back then in East New York and, and see the things that we saw and, you know, wasn't the, ple- the most pleasant things that we, we experienced and saw, but it did, it did help us, you know what I mean? And it, and it created that tough skin, you know, me and my siblings had, you know? To be honest, like, when I'm thinking about your story, and we didn't even finish the story, we gotta get back to it, but, <laughs> but um, it occurs to me, like, whatever your, like, receptiveness to that dream it's like you must I'm assuming you must have done anyone who's going to like have a dream like that and listen to it and be like, I kind of liked how I felt in the dream. I, I should go try that right. out. Like has already probably done a lot of work in some way to be open to like, oh, that this is a new thing and it was cool. And I'm just sort of curious. Do you think that's true for you? Like, I think it's I think it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, I was at a point in my life where I was looking for something. Mm-hmm. Right. For years, I was trying to figure out, well, what am I good at? You know, and, and I never, I was, you know, I, would, I dibbled and dabbled here and there. And I was like, all right, well, that's not my thing, really. I'm not really passionate about it. But when I discovered knitting, interestingly enough, I, I fell in love with it. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I have a dream. I try it out. And I love it. Like, what are the chances and the odds of that happening, right? So... That that from that moment, I said, okay, I'm gonna really embrace myself. I'm gonna really dive into this. I'm gonna go down that rabbit hole, and I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna see what I can do, what mm-hmm. what I can create. And when I saw that, I found what others found difficult was easy for me. I realized it's like, yeah, this is your thing, buddy. And and I and I had to talk to myself. I had to have that conversation with myself where I was saying. I'm separating myself and there's something, there's something unique here. And I really got to, I got to dive into this. And when I did, that's when I realized that, yeah, this is it for me. And it just, it just, dude, it just like snowballed after that. Like, <laughs> and it, it just had so many different layers to it. And it just, I never looked back. And, and one of the th- promises that I always made myself was that, Lewis, if this ever feels like work, then it's not for you. Mm-hmm. This, this is not passion. Like it should always, you should always enjoy this. You should always be passionate about this. But if it ever felt like, oh, I got a knit, you know what I mean? Like it's never. I've been doing this now for eleven years, and not a day has gone by that I that I'm like, yeah, let's get, let's do this. You know what I mean? And I get excited about it. Yeah. You know, so every moment I pull out the project, I'm like, all right, let's do a couple more rows. <laughs> it's it's honestly it's an inspiring thing to hear you talk about it because, I mean, something Avi and I talk about on this podcast sometimes is. <clears throat> you know beyond knitting just men have a difficulty even figuring out what they like even if it's a more conventional thing right like how do you know you actually like something right like like so often i think um you know i mean just speaking for myself so many of the things that i am drawn to if i really question myself i'm like oh am i only drawn to that because um you know society told me that that would be a cool thing to uh, get into or is it something I'm authentically into? And I think um, the way that our like you know gender roles are set up is like there's so many things that um, definitely as a boy 
I felt cut off from. Like I would have never considered like doing ballet or whatever. Who right. knows if I if it would have been something that could have been the passion of my life that right. I fell in love with. You know what I mean? But I completely cut cut off that possibility. So it's so cool to hear um just to hear like what it's like to 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 find that thing. You said that um it changed your life in other ways. I mean, once you started once you had that breakthrough moment of starting to do it on the subway and realizing you know, that you truly didn't care about what other people thought about you um, while you were knitting on the subway. How did that, did, did it change the way that you interact with, um, with your work, with your relationships outside of work, with your family? How, how did it change your other? Yeah, uh, interesting enough, I, I became more, more creative in all aspects of my life. Oh. So I, you know, I started, you know, when I first started knitting, it was always, I was following other people's patterns and I was just like, I was like, you know what? Why don't I make my own patterns? And I started doing that. And the moment I started, all right, we're gonna. I started off really. I made my first simple hat, let's just say, and I designed it. And I was like, I was really proud of that. I wrote out the pattern. I put it up on Etsy, and it sold. Like, you know, as a as a download. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I make I can make money off of this. And that's when the website came out. And that's when I realized, okay, I have a I have a niche here, you know. And I'm like, all right, I have something a little bit different. And I think outside the box when I knit. So when I design, I'm not designing your typical sweaters, traditional sweaters or hats. No, I'm talking about I use elements like uh, textiles like leather and suede. And like I'll incorporate all that into my into my pieces. And it's opened up these these windows in my brain. <laughs> That's the best way to explain Where it's like, hey, try this. And I'll be, it'll be like, I'm getting ready for bed. It's 11 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden I get this thought. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. That would be a really cool scarf or a really cool... And I get up and I just start sketching. And then, you know, it's, and it's just one of those things that like, you know, and even at home, it's like, <laughs> I was never into like interior designing or anything like that. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, when did this happen? And I'm like pulling out like samples and I'm like, all right, we're going to change up the curtains or we're going to uh -huh. pull out a new area ruggers. And, and I start laughing at myself. I'm like, yeah, this has to be part of the knitting where I'm like getting creative and I start seeing things around me and I stop looking at things as just as what they are. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the beautiful part about it is that I could take something that that looks ugly and just be like, no, we're going to make it. So I started resurfacing furniture and I started like reupholstering, you know, seats. And like, I'm like, I, that was never me. I was never that guy. But when I started opening those doors to being creative, so much more came out. And I was like, this is cool. That's awesome. So you're making yeah. like everything a canvas. Like, yeah. Like, and it's yeah. just like, I mean, I, I don't do it all the time, but like, yeah. I, you know, I'm open to those ideas now as to in the past, I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I don't have enough talent to do that. Right. But it was about taking that very first step and saying, I'm going to teach myself how to knit. It's also cool. I'm thinking about, we interviewed uh, this guy a few weeks ago, David Epstein, who wrote this book. Um, about the called range about the benefits of having like lots of different experiences and how that instead of like really focusing on one thing in your life, it's like the people when you're who, a little kid, like starting yeah, yeah. from when you're a little like kid, specializing that yeah. like when you have lots of different experiences, you can sort of take from different disciplines and and you can add something new to something. And I'm I'm hearing that in yeah, your, it's interesting that you bring this up. So one of the things that I do now is that. I travel all throughout New York and the tri-state area and I go into schools, public schools, and I talk to kids about my story. And I also talk about anti-bullying, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I always tell the kids is that, and especially at that age, right? Um, if you feel like you're, there's something out there that you want to learn how to do, 
dance, learn how to paint, whatever it is, make slime. I always tell the kids because they connect with slime. I don't know why they're into making slime these days, but they love it. They love it, right? So, you know, I always like, I always throw, the the first question I always throw up at, you know, at an assembly at at an elementary school is, how many people like to make slime here? And all the hands go up and you hear them all going crazy, right? (laughs) So you got to find that connection. And Uh so that's their connection. Uh Slime, you know, and, um, so I tell them, what if you, what if you can take your love of making slime and make money? And you hear the, you hear them chattering. So it's like, so that's where I start, right? Mm-hmm. So then I, you know, I go into like them exploring the ideas of trying things out for the first time, whether they, whether you're good at it or it fails, keep going on to the next thing until you find that one thing that you really like and stick with it. And when you find it, dive right into that. So like, you know, I break it down to the kids with that when it comes to that, and, and I, and I kind of sort of do the same thing with adults and i when i have these conversations at like conventions and you know i'm doing a lecture somewhere i i always i always challenge people to do that you know just just to really like figure out what it is that you're good at so let's get um back to the narrative um (laughs) how did you get to the point where you were invited to do a ted talk so you were you were you were knitting on the subway did someone Notice you and yes. film you at some so, point? Okay. So what happened two years ago, um, I got noticed, I spotted on a train, I'm coming in, I knit, and sitting right before me was uh, former American Idol contestant Frenchie Davis, who's now on Broadway, she's got a record coming out. Um, she was sitting in front of me. Now, I had no idea she was sitting in front of me, and I know who she is, but I was so <laughs> into my knitting at the time that I never look up. She ended up taking a photo of me and that night posted onto social media this photo of me knitting. And the caption read, this brother on the train is my hero today. And I didn't know any of this. I wasn't following her at the time or anything like that. And then the next morning I'm at work and I get a text message from, a, from an old friend of mine. He's like, dude, you're all over social media. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's this photo of you, of you knitting on the train. I'm like, shut up. And he's like, so he sends me a screenshot of Frenchie's post. And I'm like, what the hell? That was last night. Who's taking... And so the first reaction is, this is creepy. That was last night. I knew what I was wearing last night, right? So I'm like, who's taking my picture? And when I realized who it was, I was like, wait, that's Frenchie Davis. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, this is insane. So like right away, I go on. I start communicating with her. Long story short, the photo started circulating all over. And it caught the attention of the Daily News here in New York. And um, they reached out to me through social media. And they were like, Hey, we, you keep popping up on our feeds. We want to know about your story with Frenchie Davis. Can we interview you? So they came over, we took some photos, and we did like a two-hour interview. And the moment, so the woman that interviewed me, her name is Christina Correga, and she told me that right before she left my, my apartment that night, she says, get ready. <laughs> and I'll never forget what she told me. She said, get ready because a story like this is going to hit big. I was like, no, it's not. It's just the me. It's just the guy <laughs> knitting on the train. I was like, she's like, no. The things that you said about your fears and about you breaking down these gender walls and you just not caring about what—that's going to resonate with a lot of people, Lewis. And and I was like, okay, whatever you say. I'm thinking, yeah. So she told me she's like, how's your website right now? And I was like, it's okay. She's like, you need to upgrade that like tonight. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I saw your. She's like, I saw your 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 website and it's nice, but. People are going to be flocking to your website. And I thought about that at that very moment. I was like, okay. So as soon as she left, I call my, I call my web girl. I'm like, all right, we got to work on my website just in case. And I tell you the next, so like a few days later, the article dropped and it was in 
insane. Really? It was insane. I started getting calls from New York One, Brooklyn News 12. I was getting a call from Detroit News, uh, newspaper out in Detroit. I mean, it was just a flood of, and then here come the sales. I literally doubled sales overnight wow. in what I make in one year. I mean, what I like about this is that <clears throat> you didn't have a plan to get famous or no. to get rich or anything. No. You were just following, you know, this well, this hobby good. that was more than a hobby. It was, right. it was a love, basically. And, um, you know, the world rewarded you. You know, it's nice. Um, mm -hmm. So the advice question we have actually ties very much into probably yeah. the stuff that you've talked about in your TED so Talk. We'll probably and, keep talking about it in yeah. a way, but yeah. Okay. Um, hey, man. My son sucks at basketball. He loves basketball and works hard at it, but he's always the worst player on his team. And when he has a bad game, as he often does, he's devastated afterwards. He generally struggles with self-esteem, and I feel like this exacerbates things. I wish he'd quit basketball and do something that aligns more with his strengths and makes him feel better about himself. But he loves basketball and says he doesn't want to play other sports. Kyrie is his hero. What should I do? Keep encouraging him, even though it's pretty clear he's not ever really going to be good? Keep subtly pushing him towards something else? Please help. Signed, Sad Dad in Diker Heights. <laughs> sad Dad in Diker Heights. Yeah. Don't be sad. So, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, he's got that passion and he's got that drive, mm -hmm. which is why he's still doing this. And even if he sucks, he's not always going to suck. That's the thing. And we, as, as an adult, we see this. And I think, you know, I don't have kids myself, but, you know, I do have younger nephews. And, and my nephews have been playing sports all their lives. And they, at w in the very beginning, they sucked. Yeah. They all sucked. But they loved it so much that they kept with it. And as long as the person has that drive and has that passion, continue, continue encouraging them. Mm -hmm. Pushing them forward because that's important. If this kid wants to play basketball, regardless of how bad he sucks and how frustrated he, he becomes, you got to let him rock out. <laughs> you got to let him rock out and you got to let him be. And that's one of the things that, that as a parent, you want to you wanna be there to hold the child and just like when they fall down and they hurt themselves, you want to be, be able to pick. There are times that you, got, you just got to let them go, you know? And it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. But I feel like sometimes like especially with kids, they get frustrated easily. Mm -hmm. And I see this all the time, you yeah. know? And one of the things that I do, like if I, when I go into a school and I, one of the things that I look around in the audience, like if I'm, we're teaching 200 kids how to knit, and one of the things that I look at is where are the kids that are crying? And I always look for those kids. And I, there's always three or four of them. Out of a sea of 200 kids, you see three or four kids crying in the corner somewhere because they can't get it. They can't figure it out. Those are the ones that I target. Those are the ones that I go to. I'm like, what's up, buddy? Talk to me. I can't get this. It's too hard. And I don't know. Everybody's doing it. And I can't do it. And I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, all right, come on. So I pull that kid to the side. And sometimes all, it me all you need with that kid is five minutes. That's my goal. Five minutes with the kid. All right, all right, sit down. I'm like, wipe your tears. We're going to do this together. And, and literally, like, it just takes patience. And, just, and I'm like, look at me. You see what I'm doing? Try it. And encouraging them each and every time that they do the right thing. I'm like, oh, this is good. You got it. And all of a sudden, that, that frown starts to, starts to turn into a smile. And the, starts wiping off the tears. Within five minutes, ten minutes, the kid's knitting. Yeah. And it's just like, and I do that. And I, and I walk around and I, and I look for that. But it's, 
you know, for, for this kid that, that loves basketball so much and he's, yeah, he's not good right now. Just let him go. Mm-hmm. Just let, let him do what he wants, right? And Don't and get so, in his way. Don't get in his way, yeah. yeah. If, you know, I, as, you know, you're saying to yourself, okay, oh, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want people to laugh at him or anything. We think of those things, but I don't think he's really looking at that, you know, because if he's still there, it's for a reason. There's a reason. We got to find out what that reason is. Why is he really sticking with basketball? What is it about basketball you love so much that you can't tell the kids, oh, well, you suck, right? So, but you want to find out what that kid, why he's still there. What if it's, I mean, we can't um, know because this guy's not in the room with us, but, uh, or his son's not in the room with us, but what if it is that, um, like, how, how does he know that he's not just playing basketball because that's the cool thing in his school that boys are expected to do when inside maybe he would actually really connect to something like knitting? Um, you know, I think that's, again, one of, these, one of these tricky things. I think sometimes it's hard for men to figure out, like, am I doing this because it's cool? Do I love, the, you know, am I passionate about right. this thing because it's cool or because I actually love it? And, and, um, you know, I suppose if he's sticking with it, even when he's really bad and and his dad is not forcing him to do it, obviously his dad would prefer if he did something else, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, another thing that I'm curious about Lewis is like, um, you know, your, your message when you talk to kids in schools, um, uh, is about finding something. Well, how would you frame it? Is it about finding something that you love or finding something that you're really good at? No, we want to start with something they're good at. Okay, but oh, yeah. he's yeah. not good at basketball. Right, so here's <laughs> the thing. So in this case, there's... So as you were talking about this, I thought about something. And there's always signs, right, as to why we all do what we do. And going back to this kid, um, he's got to be given some type of sign as to why he's sticking to basketball. Is it because all his friends are playing basketball? Is it because he likes a girl at school and he wants to impress the girl? What is it that's really driving him there? You know, the kid probably does know that he's not great at it. Okay? Like, how can you right. How can you, right. Yeah. But he, there's, he's so determined to stick with this. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Right? He says he loves it. You got to take his word for it. Now, if that's the case, then and, and you realize as a parent that, all right, He's in this not for the right reason. You don't take them out of that, out of the, out of basketball. What you do is you introduce them to other things, right? Mm-hmm. Start and just hey, you know what we're gonna do today? We're gonna I don't know. We're gonna go take a hip hop class, mm-hmm. hip hop dance class, or eh, we're gonna go take a painting class, and just watch and observe the kid. If he lights up, that's his thing, right? It's about taking that kid and let, tr- letting them try out all these different things until, as a parent, you see that kid light up. When your son or daughter lights up, you're like, oh, they really like this and they're really good at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you're, I agree with what you're saying because I remember when I was like, I don't know, it must have been 11 or 12, and I really wanted to take guitar lessons. And I took, uh, I took violin lessons before that, and I'd never practiced the violin and guitar. I wasn't getting it. I was really frustrated. And then I, I have this memory that was always really important to me of like spending, I basically spent like an entire day in my room just like practicing, you know, like the five songs that I had learned at that point until I got them like really, really good. And I was so proud of myself. And like nobody spends a whole day doing something unless they like really care, even if they suck. You right, know what I mean? Like right. there's something about like when you're into it, 
it feels good to work hard and that's a good sign i think you know absolutely absolutely um i think i think we all try to get to that point where like once we where we've achieved that goal like ah, i did it like i remember when i made my first scarf i was and it was horrible right it wasn't it wasn't perfect but i was so proud of that piece and i was like i made my first scarf you know and i look back at it now and i start laughing compared to what i'm doing now it's just like Oh, Louis, you had no idea what the hell you were doing back then, but it's okay. But I was so proud at that moment, and that just propelled me to the next level to want more. And I think that's that goes for anybody. Let it be sports, let it be fashion, let it be you know painting, whatever it is that you decide to tap into, and and you you start achieving these mini goals, you start setting yourself for these higher goals. I'm thinking about my um, like my experience as a kid, because I, I was obsessed with basketball as a kid. Um, I grew up in Boston. The Celtics are obviously a legendary NBA oh, team. <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, I wanted to be like Larry Bird and Reggie Lewis and all these guys. And I had a basketball hoop in my backyard. And I did suck for a long time. But I, I would practice every single day um, by myself, shooting free throws, dribbling, playing one-on-one with my friends every single day. And eventually, I did... I went from being one of the worst players on my, you know, various teams to eventually being decent <clears throat> to eventually making like the JV team in my high school. Um, and by the time I made the JV team, I, I, it was like this dream that I had accomplished. But, uh, but anyway, long story short, I sucked on the JV team. <laughs> I did make the JV team. You peaked. That but, was um, <laughs> but like sometimes, sometimes like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. obviously. But when I look back, I'm like, because I ended up becoming a writer, right? That That is actually what I'm really good at. Um, I always knew that I had skills at writing because I always could just, like, it was just the one academic subject I just got really easily. I always had it away with words. I listened to hip-hop a lot as a kid, and I loved the language and would memorize the songs. And just, I loved language. I always did. But, um, but I never thought of, like, writing as something that um, I could really do. And, um, and you know, I till a comically late age, still dreamed about playing in the NBA. You know, going back to what you were saying, um, the idea of exploring all these different things, especially at an early age, is so important because it's going to build character to, to that child. And, I, and, I, and I, I remember that. Growing up, I had that experience. You know, like I tried acting at one point and I loved it and I stuck with it for a while and then I was like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. I tried playing sports. I sucked at it too. You know, it wasn't my thing. And so I was like, well, what's my thing? So for years, I was going through all these different changes in my life and trying to figure out what I was good at. And it didn't happen until I was in my early 30s. You know, sometimes it takes us that long to figure out what it is that we're good at. But as long as, as a parent, as you're, if you're doing your job and just opening up these ideas to the child and saying, look, you could do anything you want. Don't limit yourself. I remember growing up, my cousin, female, she used, to, she used to play handball. So Brooklyn is known for handball. Yeah. I don't know if, if everybody out there knows this, but Brooklyn is like the sport is handball in the summertime. You don't see it in the wintertime because it's snowing, so you can't play handball outside, right? But spring, summertime, everybody's at the handball courts. And growing up, my, my cousin, who was a female, long hair, long fingernails, would get onto a handball court and wipe all these guys off <laughs> with 
long fingernails. <laughs> and she was known for that. Never scraped her fingernails on the floor. It uh-huh. was just like, how do you do it? And she would kick their asses. It was, it was insane. <laughs> and I always looked up to her. I was like, wow, this is awesome that you're a girl. And she's like, girls can do anything. And this, I remember this. Her telling me, this, girls can do anything boys can. And that always stuck with me. And I use that, and I'm like, okay, and we can reverse that. You know what I mean? And it's like, who's to say that you can't do that because it's considered a girl's activity or a girl going into a guy's craft, uh, sport or something like that or, or career? You know, it's, it, we got to get out of that mindset. We got to get out of this idea of that you're, you can only do this and you can only do that. And when you open up your, yourself to these ideas, anything can happen. Yeah, I'm... I'm curious, this is sort of off topic from the question, but like, you know, so I'm a psychotherapist and I spend all, all day with people's feelings and emoting with people and, and trying to help people through hard times. And honestly, I don't think, particularly my dad, I don't think my dad quite got why this was something I wanted to do and he couldn't really relate and didn't really have, I don't think, a high opinion of therapy. Um, and I just had to sort of do what I wanted to do anyways. And I'm kind of curious, like, how's your family? Like, so th- now your your name is sort of like uh, the guy who knits and like, is your family, like, how do they feel about that? They're, they're really proud of me. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I should say that. <laughs> I mean, I still have, you know, I still have uh, family members that now they're, they're getting used to the idea because I'm more out there and they see me out there. Oh, I just saw you on the news or I just, I just saw you in an article and, I'm like, yeah. And, you know, my parents always embraced, embraced whatever I did, you know, and, and I love that about them, that they just let me rock out, as I call it. Um, but I had to adapt, like, growing up and having, coming from a Latino culture, um, I still had the men in my family that were not okay with certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you should be playing baseball. Why aren't you playing baseball? Or why didn't you do, join join the Marines when all the men in our family have been Marines? I, well, I don't want to be a Marine. Was your dad a Marine? Yeah, my my father was a Marine. My grandfather was a Marine. Both my uncles were Marines. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. so in high school, my senior year, guess who came knocking on my door at right. homeroom? It was it was the Marine Corps. I'm like, wow, they're coming, they're showing up because my grandfather sent them to my high school, wow. looking for me, thinking that I was going to join the Marines, and I was like, nah, that's not my thing, sorry. And they were so disappointed in me. They were very disappointed. And I'm like, wow, they want me to become a Marine, but that's not what I want. I know I don't want to do that. I have to say, I'm curious what it was like for you. Like, something about disappointing my parents is like the worst feeling. It is the, the worst feeling. It is because, you know, we want to do good by them. We want them to be proud of us. We, you know, we don't want them bowing their heads and shaking their heads at, at us. We want them, that's my son. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter. Mm-hmm. That's so important to have that, you know, that recognition and, and saying, wow, they approve of what I'm doing. And even to this day, I'm 44 years old and I'm still looking for my parents' approval. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like, and it's hard, but you have to separate your passions and your love for things in life and do it for yourself, not for anybody else, regardless of, even if it's your parents. You know what I mean? That's yeah. so important. I think By that, the way, I just want to say like, yeah. um, I mean, it's just, it adds a whole other layer of kind of amazingness to your story that you come from a military family. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, um, uh, you know, like, I, military guys in our, in the way that we consider masculinity, um, that society thinks about masculinity are like at the top of the, 
totem pole. They're right. like the most masculine dudes in our society. Right. And, um, and you know, like we have these adjectives like, like hard and soft and like right. dudes in the military are considered like the hardest guys right. in right. a way. And, um, but, but, you know, I just keep thinking like to take out your knitting stuff and do it on the New York city subways, um, is actually kind of hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is. And I wonder, like, did they, was there any, like, recognition, like, damn, like, what he's doing is, I mean, it's not like he's going to Iraq and, like, you know, barging into a house with a gun, but, like, he's doing something that is risky and um, actually takes uh, a lot of courage. And and ironically enough, a lot of guys who are super brave and are willing to go in yeah, the military probably be would be terrified <laughs> right, to do right. it. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, Yes, you know, and I and I respect my family. I respect the Marine Corps. I respect, you know, the fact that they fought for our country and they're still fighting for our country. That's, I bow down to that all the time. Did I want to be a part of that family? No, that's not who I am. Not, you know, and it's not because I agree or disagree with, no, that's not what this is about. But that wasn't for me. That path, I knew that path wasn't going to be for me. I knew that I wasn't going to be happy there. So why should I join the Marine Corps because there's a legacy behind me, right? And yeah, part of me thought about it because I was like, wow, I'm the fourth Lewis in my family. So like there's three other Lewises behind me. And I said, no, this is where it stops. It ends with me. And, and that's, that's where it ended. Funny thing is, is that, so the other day, well, not the other day, a few months back, I just, for the hell of it, said, I'm going to Google my name. And I Googled my name. And right next to one of my videos was a video of my grandfather wow. talking about him talking about being a Marine. And I saw, wow, there's the difference. It's like, here's the Marine guy and here's the knitter. I feel like the story you're, you're talking about or that you and I were both talking about, like disappointing your parents and versus having to be yourself. It's like if there's one piece of advice I would give to this dad, it's like, don't make your kid feel like he's a disappointment to right, you. Right. You know, like yeah, that, like yeah. honoring what he uh he's excited about it so be happy that he's excited like don't make him feel like he's a failure in your eyes because you think he should be good because i think that's probably how it'll land it's like if you're telling him don't play basketball it's like you're embarrassed by him or for him right right i don't think that would like he'll pick up on that or even having that conversation with the kid and saying listen i love that you love basketball and i want and if you want to do this by all means but just know that i'm proud of you no matter what yeah, and it's important to have that conversation, and so that that kid knows that. All right, I'm on my own here. So if Dad's telling me it's okay, he's not going to look at me any different. If I, it's it's t- right, it's like kinda, you don't know right. if that's why he's doing basketball exactly, or not. Yeah. and and it's it's kind of telling the the child, you know what? I'm telling you without letting you know that you can stay in this or stay out of it. That's it's totally up to you. You know what I mean? Without saying, oh, you suck. You don't want to let the kid know that. Never use the word suck, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think having that conversation, an open conversation, say, you know what, I love you. And, and if this is what you really want to do, by all means, I'll support you. Yeah. And if you choose not to, I'm still going to support you and right. I'm still going to be there for you. I mean, one thing I'm thinking of is, um, you know, that that he could um, just offer to to be outside with him and feed him the ball while he's practicing his mm-hmm. drills, exactly. you know, and just right. spend Show more him time with him. him. Just, yeah. just be like, you know, let's, let's work on this together. Like if you want to keep getting better, like I'll help you out, you know? And, um, you know, and, and I'm also just thinking like, I mean, to, to this dad's credit, the boy is, he, 
the boy is someone with low self-esteem who seems to be devastated and feel bad about himself every time after he has a bad game. Um, I mean, who knows what the various other reasons are that he has low self-esteem. Some of them might have to do with his, his dad's uh, relating to him in general. But I like, I like your approach. If the father is just um, direct about his unconditional love for his son and, um, and makes it clear that, um, you know, that, that he supports him doing something that he really cares about. And then he'll be like an ally who's there showing up to, you know, help right. him practice more or whatever. Then I think the kid's orientation to sucking, sucking. <laughs> I shouldn't use it, <laughs> to, struggling, to struggling might change. Because I'm thinking back to like um, when I was in um, high school, middle school, whatever, and, you know, they used to have um, captains and they would pick people, you know, um, and, you know, there would always be the same kids getting picked last or whatever. But you could t- there there was a difference. Be- some of the kids who got picked last and who weren't very good, um, you could tell were miserable, and others just seemed to be having fun, mm-hmm. even though they were they were not right. yeah. good, you know. And I wonder, like, you know, maybe this kid could turn into one of those kids who's having fun, even if he's not good. And, and like you said, everyone gets better if they practice. That's a lot. right. That's right. So, um, so it seems like the the first step is like. The dad being supportive and helping him, you know, embrace the 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 fun of it. I think I mean, the I think theme the kid of this podcast is or of this episode is like enjoy it, yeah. right? Like right. you got to find something you enjoy. And this kid has lost, like you said earlier, you would never want knitting to be something that felt like a duty or right, or, or work. Right. And I think this kid has um, gotten caught up in feeling bad about not being a great player and. And it seems like he's not really having fun an- anymore. Well, um, and yeah, and I guess that that makes me think of one other thing he could do, which is like to just express in like a loving way, like I see you like str- like you seem so miserable. Like, are you really having fun doing this? Because there are other things you can do, um, and maybe there's a way that, or can we find a way for basketball to be fun again instead yeah. of you having to be Kyrie? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? We like to to um, wrap up the show just uh asking um if you have a uh piece of advice or wisdom it could be a quote something you read some something somebody told you that just meant a lot to you and that um you've carried with you um throughout your life is there anything that stands out in particular yes absolutely um one of the things that i've always noticed um and i'm speaking to artists out there i'm speaking to professionals in their careers you know we all, our ultimate goal is to always make money, right? We all want to survive. We all want to make that money. But one thing that I noticed, even even as an artist and seeing other artists out there, um, people in their careers, they want to get to that to that main goal, which is like, I want to be up that high ladder. And what they're forgetting is the journey that they're going through. And I realized that your journey is just as important as making that money. And having your focus solely on I got to make that money, got to make that money, although it's important, don't let it be your main goal because your journey is just as important. So be patient with yourself, right? Enjoy enjoy the journey that you're going through because you're going to learn so much from your journey and I'm still learning from my journey. And yeah, I want to make millions one day, right? That's the ultimate goal, but it's far it's it's not it's not the thing that I'm looking at right now. What I'm looking at is my current situation, my my journey and how I can get to the next level. And and my advice to everybody is is just that enjoy your journey, get to the next level when it's your time. Your time will come and everybody's going to have that time. 
and the journey doesn't end. It even, doesn't even if you that, make no. the ten million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. that's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And once you make that ten million dollars and you hit that goal, now you have to achieve that. You have to make that next goal, and that's what it's that. about. Gotta get Start that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so enjoy that process, man. It's so important, and don't be in a rush to to be successful. Just enjoy every moment that happens, every step of the way. You know, it's so important to remember that, and we all get caught up in our our big goals, and and it's. And I realized that, you know, we all forget where we're going, right? We want to get there, but it's about what's currently happening right now in our situation. How can people find um, your stuff and your social media? Yeah, so I have um, I have a website, which is brooklynboyknits.com. Uh, my social media, Facebook, uh, Brooklyn Boy Knits, or Louis Boria, L-O-U-I-S-B-O-R-I-A. Um, I'm on Instagram as Brooklyn Boy Knits. I'm on Twitter as Brooklyn Boy Knits, but I'm going to spell it out for you because I ran out of characters on Twitter. <laughs> and we'll put so, all these links in right. the show notes. So Br- Twitter is B-R-K-L-Y-N Boy Knits. Okay. I'm on, what else am I on? Oh my gosh. Uh, Etsy. Et- I do have an Etsy. I sell my patterns on Etsy, so it's not, but all, all items you can get onto my website. Okay. I sell all kinds of stuff from yarn to custom pieces to pins and good stuff like that. All right, everyone, that's it for our show this week. If you have a question, we've really been loving the ones we've been getting lately. Uh, You can send it to us at heymanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call. Leave a voicemail at 917-426-4326. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at heymanpod. And um, we've been getting lots of nice reviews. Really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're getting this. It really helps get the word out. Thanks. Thanks.